1: This week already off to a bad start for Kyle Larson after his team was slapped with a 10-point fine today for violating the repair procedure under the damaged vehicle policy at Talladega. Larson now sitting 36 below the cut line as we head to a cut race at Kansas this weekend. And with that, hello and welcome to a Wednesday edition of NASCAR America, everyone. Marty Snyder, Steve LaTarte, Landon Castle joining you from NBC Charlotte around the Little Oak Table, guys. So let's get to it right away. Kyle Larson's team, 10 points less than they had yesterday at this time. So how's that going to affect things this weekend at Kansas?
2: It was a must-win in my mind before the points penalty came out. So this just, uh, if there was ever a a sliver of hope out of anyone in the organization (laughs) that they could points their way in, uh, I don't think that exists anymore. It's definitely a must-win.
3: Yeah, when we talked about him this morning, we were thinking, we were talking about him winning his way into the next round anyways, uh, which I guess at Kansas, he could could do that, but that's what it's going to take.
1: There you see the playoff leaderboard now 36, as we said, for Kyle Larson. So let's talk about these guys below the cut line. We've talked about them a lot this week, but I, I think it was interesting what Paul Wolf said to you yesterday, Steve. I think I think everybody may be in a situation here where they have to win because you look at the guys who are above that cut line, and that's the key. They're good, they're good teams. That's the key. Listen, the round of 16, you can look at the points. So you
2: got to make up this many points. When you get to the round of the 12, it's not just the points, it's who you're gonna beat. And Paul Wolf said it the best. He looked at his list. He said, well, I got Clint Boyer and Martin Trex Jr. Am I going to outrace those two race teams for 18 points? No, it's not going to happen. Now, you could always have to pay attention to an accident, mechanical failure. You know, if they beat themselves, you have to be there to capitalize. But I completely agree with what Paul told me yesterday, which is it's a must win. I believe all four teams below the cut line. Barring a major accident, a tire failure, something like that, if they don't end up in victory lane, their playoff hopes are over.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I guess you think about someone like Martin Truex Jr. He's. You're betting that he's going to run outside the top ten, not even score stage yeah. points, right? And he's um, won two of the last three at Kansas. <laughs> exactly. So, that's, exactly. so if you way. want that bet, you let yeah. me know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah, right yeah. Exactly. But, I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at Brad Keselowski, who has stole um, some wins here in the last... Yeah last few weeks with cars that didn't have the most speed yeah. um ryan blaney's capable of that and kyle larson i mean he could wing it around the top side at kansas i've heard some from the test um that they had at kansas recently yeah. that the top side is going to be the preferred groove
1: so so for ryan blaney i want to ask you they consider kansas their best racetrack fine i understand that they consider kansas their best racetrack but do they have the speed to really be able to go out and put their car in victory lane um, I mean, it, it just – I think it depends a little bit on the weather here and,
3: and where the preferred groove ends up. And, I mean, you look at you look at what Keslowski has done here. He's, he's proven that he could get in victory lane. So, you know, why couldn't one of the other Penske cars do it? Yeah, the problem I have is the only way that Ryan Blaney going to end up in victory lane is, is – and I don't want to use the word
2: stealing a victory because that's not what Brad Kozlowski and those guys did. Um, they outraced the competitors, whether it's a pit stop or a strategy call. Um, do I think Ryan Blaney can go out and dominate the final stage, lead the most laps? No. Do I think he can win on a final restart? Um, like, I man, look at the playoffs. I'm not. I'm, I'm pretty scared to kind of say anything because Vegas was crazy. Intend, the Roval yeah. was crazy. Talladega was actually supposed to be crazy and it was calm. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't feel that Ryan Blaney has the ability. You mentioned it, maybe one of his best racetracks.
3: So can he can he end up in victory lane? Perhaps, but not with a dominant car. Kansas does have the chance of being crazy. I mean that yeah, sure. That, that historically can be a attrition type race. I mean I've uh, I've seen I mean we saw with the with last year. I mean mm-hmm. we had a heck of a crash there with Eric
1: Amarola, and and uh, it's possible at Kansas. You mentioned Larson around the top, and and I I hear that and I understand that, but at the test everybody was at the top. So yeah. does that take away? Some of his advantage, maybe. If everybody's gonna be around the top, all of a sudden everybody's there, you gotta go with or not.
3: I, that's, that's possible, and that's a good point. I mean, I, I still think that even if everybody's running the top, Kyle Larson is two-tenths better than anybody else running the top anyways, even if everybody's doing it. It just might make it harder for him to pass, but I mean you, you can see right here the way that he can uh, run the top, the way that he enters against the wall is just better than anybody else, so he, it's still going to give him advantage if that turns out to be the preferred lane. Have
1: you packed for Kansas yet? I have not packed. It's going to be chilly. I was getting ready to say, <laughs> pack a jacket, and that yeah. jacket
2: is going to kill Kyle Larson's ability to run the top better than everyone else. I do think, think it's it's going to make it a bottom race? I think it's going to There'll be a little bit of top, but only on older tires. You know, if it's 100 degrees like we saw at Chicago, lap five or six of a run, you're right to the fence. You're talking 50, low 60s at best. Yeah, you're gonna get to the top, but you're gonna get to the top of like lap 25 on tires, and guess what happens at lap 30? You pit and put new tires on. If I am any of the other crew chiefs in here, I'm short pitting all day, taking away Kyle Larson's advantage. I just don't think the li- you know, I don't think the, c- the cards are lined up. And another thing is I'm disappointed with how that team ran at Talladega, not just on the racetrack, but when I listen on the radio. I saw frustration out of the crew chief, frustration out of the spotter, frustration out of the driver. I just don't think they're engaged enough to go win.
3: I have a question from a crew chief. You just said something that was interesting to me. <laughs> the driver, hand. Yeah, like we're all sitting <laughs> well, here. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. listening to you talk, talk about short pitting um, taking away Kyle's advantage. So if if Kyle is 30 laps into this race in in a stage one and he's three tenths faster in the field running the top, you think the other the other crew chiefs will respond to that by saying, okay? To themselves, we're going to short pit this to take away that advantage, to force their hand into short pitting and taking away their well, old tire advantage. Well,
2: so we're talking winning, right? So if Kyle is 3 tenths faster in 10th, I could care less. Right. But if he's 3 tenths faster in the lead, then if I am Paul Wolfe, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm on pit wall. Uh, I'm on pit road, and mm-hmm. I'm going to look at Chad Johnson and be like, all right, you can either come with me or you can give up a second and a half every lap. You decide. And, oh, yeah, listen. If you don't think that chess isn't played at 185 miles an hour on pit Road, it absolutely is.
1: And you're good with your numbers because about 30 laps into a run in the spring, they were a second and a half slower. So that's what those new tires will mean. Uh, you know this, Steve. There's a casino on the backstretch. I heard that rumor right off of turn yeah. two. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you've been there before. Perhaps. By the way, the odds are out for this weekend's race. Check it out. Look at the guy we're talking about. Kyle Larson, 7-2. to two. There you go. Put some money down on him. You could do that on the back stretch, by the way.
2: Well, I would take Kyle Bush at 8-1 to one as a favorite over Kyle Larson at 7-2. to two. I think those, if you want those odds on Kyle Busch, get them now. Because when <laughs> practice starts, that's going to move quick.
1: So speaking of Kyle Bush, we had this conversation earlier today. We were chatting about the big three. And Landon, I thought you, you brought up a great question. Are the big three still the big three right now?
3: Well, I mean, I, I think Kevin Harvick is definitely the big one, probably. And, yeah. and Kyle Busch had a rocky um, round, of, round of 12 there. But I don't know about Martin Truex. I, I felt like with the drama with Furniture Row and the changes uh, looming a month ago, I was thinking to myself, I don't think we're going to have the same uh, 78 team towards the, the end of the season here that we've seen. So I'm kind of seeing Martin Truex drop out of this.
2: I am, but remember, this is Dover and Talladega. So uh, the round of 12 for Martin Trex Jr. is going to be his weakest round. That's where he's going to lean on all those playoff points. He's, he has currently leaned on them. That's how he's 18 above the cut line. Uh, he's won two of the last three. These guys have won 15 of the last 18 of the mile-a-half. They so won the last five at Kansas. mean, I got a ream of data that would say that, yes, they are the big three. But I don't think any of them are in concern. I mean, the 70 has to pay attention and not do something silly and be eliminated. But assuming they all do what they should do, which is run on the top five, that will be fine. I think this is more of who is the championship favorite, and I think it starts here at Kansas. Kansas – I know it doesn't look like Miami, uh, but the tire combinations close. The is close. The track surface is close. It's, close, right? yeah, it's very, very close. Yep. Texas used to be kind of you could talk to, but now it's a, a reshaped turns one and two. So I really look at you. got Martinsville, Phoenix, Texas. If I'm one of the big three and I'm the crew chief of, say, Martin Truex Jr., it's not just moving through. I think this is the last time to put your stamp on being not the big three but the championship favorite because with only five races left, I don't care if I'm part of the big three. Three means nothing. We're talking about being the big one. And that guy's going to be crowned in Miami, and this is the chance to become not just a favorite publicly, but you talk about the distractions of Furniture Row Racing. There's nothing better than winning, as close as you're going to be to their home race in Colorado, mm-hmm. go back and Cole Hearn, gather the group up and say, you know what, guys? We got one more shot. That's right. I know everybody mm-hmm. has distractions. I appreciate it. Let's circle the wagons for four more weeks. Give me one month
3: of your time, and I think he can do that. What's your thought if... Martin, if they have a mediocre run at Kansas, and yeah, they advance, but they're not, yeah. you know, prove that they're a top three car. Then
2: I think it's between Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick as the championship favorite. I think Martin Trex Jr. must have a, dom- he doesn't have to win, but a dominant run. You know, even if it comes apart Dominic for a silly season. reason. But we're talking leading 150, like the 78, right? We saw him dominate like in, races. in Las yeah.
1: Vegas. That's right. Yep. Yeah, That's right. what we're looking for. Well, Colburn told me Sunday, he said, if I leave Talladega, Close to plus 20. I'm I'm comfortable. They're plus 18. So I think they're in the range where he feels pretty good about it. You know what I find interesting is that we've heard, after Dover, we heard Chase Elliott say it. After Talladega, we heard Eric Amarola say it. We need more points. And if you project to round three, <laughs> here's why those guys are saying that, because yeah. look at this. Those are the bonus points, <laughs> the playoff points Kyle Bush, Kevin Harvick, and Martin Truex Jr. would have in the next round. Look at how far they're going to be behind already yeah. when they start Martinsville. Yeah, I
3: mean, look at, the, look at them advance. So, so let's talk about the big three advancing to the next round. And the the lowest one looking toward the final round is going to have a 38-point cushion. So you're going to have to win to knock one of those guys out to be in the last four.
2: Yeah, but did you have Chase Elliott and Eric Amarola as the two winners in round of 12? Because I didn't. (laughs) I had neither of them. Right. And, And that, I think, is the point. When I look down at the list of drivers, right, Joey Logano, he could win at Phoenix. He's done it. Kurt Bush, he could, he could win, Chase at Martinsville. Elliott win at Martinsville. Chase Elliott could win at Martinsville. I mean, you're, you're really starting to talk. Texas is the only one that I think those guys that have had the most speed will come through. So, look, we've had this argument all year. Jeff Burton and Dale Jr. will disagree with me. They said the big three are on to Miami, signed, sealed, and delivered. I don't think so. I have two of them making it because I don't believe it's gonna
3: take that it's going to happen. It's not just one, it's going to take two winners. I don't know. I think. It's just one winner. Really, the, the Truex will still have a 38 point cushion starting. In yeah. the round of eight, right? So yeah. hey, it's going to take two winners outside. I understand the
1: that. But true, these, these, the, the races in the round of eight don't shape up well for Martin Trey. He's got Texas in there. But Martinsville and Phoenix, ah, yeah. just okay tracks for that.
2: I've game. lost yeah. races so many ways, I, I don't dare count points anymore. And I really think they are. I think we're going to have uh, – I think the round of eight will have three playoff winners. Um, and three different playoff winners. Three different playoff
1: winners. Yep. And I think also because of the big three kind of not struggling in this round but not performing as well as maybe we had thought, it certainly opened the door for a lot of other teams. That's why we see, like you mentioned, Chase Elliott, Eric Almirola have now now advanced. Well, their win is single-handedly what's put Brad Kozlowski and Ryan Blaney and Kyle Larson
2: definitely below the cut line. 100%. Because I think heading into it, Eric Amarola, if he doesn't win last week after the wreck at Dover, he could be in trouble. I mean, mm-hmm. those two winners, if you're Truex, they're the worst two winners you could see. You would much rather have Harvick and Kyle Bush win because in their points total, it didn't really matter. So those two winners, and I'm going to call them somewhat surprise winners, which is a little unfair. They're both run well. But of the playoff contenders, I guess they're surprise winners. Not I mean, the guys
1: you certainly thought you would see Exactly. That. Yeah. So we're heading to the second elimination race of the 2018 playoffs, and we talk about all these must-wins that must happen this weekend. We're saying everybody below the cut line must win. Well, it's happened plenty of times, Steve. Here's 2014 Brad Kozlowski at Talladega.
2: I don't want to talk about this one because it was a must-win for me and Dale Jr. (laughs) as well. And as you can see, he was in victory
3: lane, which meant we were on the hauler eliminated. That classic Brad Kozlowski winning at Talladega like that.
1: Even called a shot that weekend as well. So the next round, 2014, Kevin Harvick does it at Phoenix.
2: Yeah, and listen, I can think it's no surprise that Harvick won at Phoenix, but it's so, you can't even explain the difficulty when it's your only option to advance. Yep, and he did
1: Following it. Following it up with a win next week. That's right, he <laughs> followed up with a win at Miami to be able to win the championship that year. This one in 2015 for Harvick, though, this one seemed a little more significant because they had to do this to be able to get to the next one. Well, it was
2: Dover. I mean, if, you know, Phoenix, Kevin Harvick is unbelievable at Dover. Jimmy Johnson, maybe. Kevin Harvick, I think we were all surprised.
1: Yeah, and then in 2016, Joey Logano. Now, this this win gets him into the championship four. Didn't win the championship that year, but again, these walk-off wins do happen.
2: Yeah, and you see the excitement right here in victory lane. Um, I thought this was going to be momentum that carried on to something special in Miami. In the end, I think it was an emotional bucket that ran dry the week
1: before. They couldn't quite do it in Miami. But these walk-off wins, as we're calling them, Steve, A, they happen, but B, they usually do create momentum for the race team.
2: They do. And and listen, Alex Bowman, he doesn't have a career win, so there, there would be no bigger win. If Alex Bowman, I don't care how it happens. (laughs) If he wins the race, unbelievable. Ryan Blaney and Kyle Larson. Surprisingly, Kyle Larson doesn't have the number of career wins we all give him credit for. I think it would be easily their two biggest career ever wins. Brad Keselowski, why it would be big, it would matter what he did in the next round before I would say it was his biggest career win.
3: Well, if we run that highlight again next year, we'll probably have uh, Ryan Blaney's Roval win. We could, um, yes, that was uh,
1: that was a although they another one. Advance on points, but that win was certainly significant yeah. for that race team. And yeah. yeah, a little, little bit of a gift, wrap, well. a, yeah, yeah, a gift wrap, but a win. a lot of bit of a gift <laughs> wrap for that race team, no doubt about it. We were talking about Joey Logano's big win at Phoenix in 2016. Who won the championship that year? This guy, Jimmy Johnson. He has a new crew chief in 2019. Coming up next on NASCAR America, we'll hear from Kevin
0: Mandring. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles.
1: We have a little surprise to you. Here's Lori, our oh, stage manager. Yeah, we bought you, Jeff DJ, and I bought you a gift on behalf well, of the whole really NBC heavy. family. <laughs> All right. Alright, we got you some wipes. That's oh, good. Yeah. You'll need those. Very Just very put tough, those right. away. We got you some diapers. Yeah. And then I, I think there's yeah. something more significant for you in there. Oh, a man. box of stogies. Oh, so you can celebrate yeah. with a guy. Those yeah. are good ones too. I so any really any used to give away. <laughs> <laughs> that was a year ago today, guys. I didn't know that.
2: I had no idea.
1: Episode number 1000 coming up NASCAR America Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern. Jimmy Johnson, Clint Boyer joining us. Boyer in Kansas. Nothing's going to go wrong there, is there? It better be a three-hour show if you got Boyer on it. <laughs> hey, speaking of Jimmy Johnson, there'll be a new face on top of this pit box in 2019. But before he joins the 48 team, Kevin Mandring has a championship to win this year. He spoke with our Dylan Welch earlier today.
4: At the Junior Motorsports shop with Kevin Mendring, the crew chief for Elliott Sadler and getting ready to start the round of eight this weekend at Kansas, you guys are 11 points to the good right now, but everything from third on back is so tight. What kind of importance does that place
5: on Kansas this weekend to get started on the right foot? No, it's definitely important. Um, Obviously, Justin and Christopher have kind of separated themselves a little bit. They got a a lead in the points. Uh, Kansas is a really good track for Elliott and for our team. So, be nothing better to, to start uh, really strong, get a win at Kansas, and uh, punch your ticket to Homestead. Three of the last four races are
4: mile-and-a-half racetracks. Considering where your program is at, where you feel like it's at, is that a positive thing or a negative thing?
5: No, absolutely. Uh, Elliott's always been really strong on the mile-and-a-half. Uh, junior Motorsports in general has been strong on the mile-and-a-halves, and a half and uh, we are looking forward to these last four. Do you feel like there's any place you need to improve or or get better on to get to Homestead ultimately? I think probably Phoenix is probably our our weakness in the playoffs. Uh, Our teammates have ran really well there. We've ran well there in the past, but we've been kind of inconsistent. So uh, that's probably one we got circled for trying to prove that the most and having a good finish.
4: With it being Elliott's last year, he's set to retire at the end of the year. For you as the crew chief, does that place any more emphasis or or expectations on your behalf just to
5: try and get him to victory lane? No, absolutely. We want to we want uh, to send Elliott out on top. We want to get that championship. He's been so close, especially the last couple of years. Uh, no, we approach every race. We try to win. We want to win, and uh, ultimately we want to get that championship for Elliott and Junior Motorsports.
4: How special would that be for you to be able to deliver that championship for him?
5: No, uh, it, it would mean a lot. Elliott's done a lot for my career. Um, he's done a lot for Junior Motorsports, and uh, like I said, he's been. we were close last year. Um, we know what it feels like to be there in, in that situation, and it just makes us that much hungrier. It's been a busy last few days for you, obviously, with your announcement about where you're going next year.
4: Have you given yourself any time to sit back and reflect on the fact that you're going to be working with one of the best in this sports history next year?
5: Yeah, obviously I'm excited. It's a dream come true. It's a a great opportunity for me. But right now my focus is on going to Kansas and uh, trying to get this championship for Elliott and Junior Motorsports. And that'll start the pursuit of that championship this weekend at Kansas, guys. (laughs)
1: we <laughs> Well, 2019 won't be his first run in the Cup Series. He's also been an engineer for some guy named LaTarte and a guy <laughs> named Earnhardt Jr. and Jeff Gordon as well. So he's been around Hendrick Motorsports. And I think the cool thing about having you guys on the show is that you both worked yeah. with Kevin Mendrick. So what's he going to bring to the table? If you're a 48 fan, what's he going to bring to Jimmy Johnson? Nick? I think
2: he is as good with a car than anyone I've ever seen in recent years. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Chad, which is he, he's able to dig into the details and get that last five 100s, that last one-tenth. He just understands it. Um, You saw the length of time he worked with me over two different drivers and started in 2008. Uh, His path was much like mine at Hedger Motorsports. He was cleaning up in the chassis shop. A lot of (laughs) racing experience. We moved him up to the cup level and instantly you knew that, that he not only had a great engineering mind but a great racing resume to go with it. And those are very hard to come by, the way you approach that. And over time, I mean, that last year with Dale and I, when we won that many races, that's Kevin Mendring. Those are Kevin's setups. Those are Kevin's approaches. I think um, the difficulty is going to be the length of the cup race. Strategy is very difficult. And the other difficulty is going to be, um, you know, whatever you decide, good or bad, (laughs) it's going to be uh, definitely judged more on Sunday than it was ever judged on Saturday. Oh, and by the way, you have a seven-time championship driver, so we should go fine.
3: The, the leadership will be a little bit different with Kevin because he's he's like you said he's like Chad, but he's smart like Chad. He's going to be like Chad, but without the stress. You know, whether he's maybe not as high strung maybe not as emotional. You could definitely not say down. maybe. I think he can <laughs> he's Chad. Would tell you. It's yeah, okay. Yeah. We're safe there, huh? Yeah, okay. I, I don't know if you're watching Chad, but okay. <laughs> yeah, that was fine. Steve said it's okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I worked with. He was one of the first guys that I worked with at Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, when he was in the chassis shop, he worked on the R and D team, which mm-hmm. is where I started all my testing. And then when he moved to you. Uh, when you would give me the call to come drive yep. that 24 car, uh, we we tested together as well. So uh, he's definitely super smart and a little, just a little bit more even killed. So it might give Jimmy a little bit more emotional stability and a little, a little bit more comfort um, for the last couple of years of his well, career. Think about it. I mean,
2: while I'm not going to try to put Elliott Salern and Jimmy Johnson in the same bucket or category when it comes to their NASCAR resume, I will put them in the same category as far as... the t- where they are in their careers, right? When Elliott Sadler and Kevin Mendering joined together, I think we all knew there was definitely less years for Elliott Sadler than what he's already driven. I think the same is for Jimmy Johnson, right? I have no idea when he's going to retire, but I think it's safe to say that he doesn't have 17 more years in him. So he's taking that veteran driver and providing them a platform to go out however they want to go out. And that, I think we saw last year with Alex Satter, a few laps from winning a championship, still has a chance of a championship this year with Jimmy Johnson. I'm a firm believer in this format, if you can get Jimmy Johnson into the round of 12, man, I think Superman might show up again.
1: How do you make a brand new crew chief relationship work, Steve? Like, where do you start? If you're Kevin Mandering and and you're going to call Jimmy Johnson, seven-time champ, and say, hey, bud, can't wait to work together, where do we start? Well, I think the first thing you have to do, and I did this um, successfully with Dale, probably
2: unsuccessfully with Jeff, and that is you don't generate that relationship at the racetrack. It doesn't happen. The cup garage and the race weekend is an absolute frying pan of pressure. Every practice, every lap, every qualifying, every decision. And these condensed weekends have only made that pressure tougher. So if I'm Kevin Mendering, once the season's over, give Jimmy a few months or a few weeks to kind of calm down. Starting in January, Jimmy and I would be spending a lot of time together, doing whatever it is that him and I want to do, just to understand cadence, emotion,
3: all of those things and try to get that out of the way early. So unless Kevin Mendering watches NASCAR America, who at Hendrick is going to be his sort of guidance to... To help him make those right calls. Well, I think the advantage you have is is Chad and Jimmy obviously know each other
2: very well. As much as he would want to lean on Chad, I would discourage it. I think there's a reason that that relationship has become stale and had to get broken up. I think there's so many other very experienced people at the company, whether it's Mr. Hendrick, who's been there a whole long time. Jeff Andrews has been around Jimmy Johnson a whole time. Ron Malik. No one's really talking about Ron Malik. He's yeah, been yeah. off the road a couple years now as Still a car chief. car chief. Long-time car chief. Long-time car chief. He's been actually with Jimmy Johnson longer than anyone. Those are the type of people. And Kevin and Ron were both on the road together. So I think there's a lot of relationships that he already has there.
3: He's um, kind of going back home. I mean, he's been in those offices.
2: I know. When everybody says yeah. he needs to get used to Hendrick, I would say he probably still is getting used to junior motorsports more than yeah. he doesn't know Hendrick Motorsports. I mean, he's been
1: there for so long. You mentioned how long Chad and Jimmy have been together. You look at the tenured crew chiefs currently in the garage area. So how do they develop the chemistry, you see, the 17th year together, in the good years with Chad and Jimmy? They're in their word, very, very good years. How do they develop that chemistry?
2: Well, I think you, you don't try to do that. I think what Jimmy and Chad have Was special to those two. Um, You look at this list, I guess this is is not what, this is the reason we weren't surprised when the announcement came out. I mean, they had a huge lead on everyone else. And when we know that this is a tough relationship, but Paul and Brad are very different, right? These crew chief driver, you can't be, when I became a crew chief, I had worked for Ray Everham. I had worked for Robbie Loomis. um, You know, I had learned from all of these different crew chiefs. I just had to be me. Right? I couldn't be someone else. I couldn't be Chad. I was right next to Chad, and I saw the sex they were having, but he has a different personality than me. Much like Kevin and Chad are not the same person. I think they have a lot of the same skill sets when it comes to the car. But as far as leadership, you have to be your own person. You have to pick and choose your strengths. And I think that's Kevin's biggest thing is as long as he comes in without nerves, you and I had this conversation, will he be nervous? I don't know. And he comes in with the confidence. Listen, he's been at Junior Motorsports for a reason. He's been groomed. Maybe not for the Jimmy Johnson role, but for a role at Hendrick Motorsports since probably oh9 right? Everyone knew Rick Hendrick concluded that this guy was gonna be special. Know that. Don't don't like have the confidence that he
3: earned the spot. Yeah, I mean I think it'll be interesting to see the the we know the chemistry with Chad and Jimmy and and why it worked and how it worked. You know, Chad was really able to direct Jimmy in their best years, you know, and and, and lead him very directly. And it'll be interesting to see how that chemistry changed between Jimmy and Kevin, you know, for me as a driver, um, my relationship with the crew chief, I look for someone that just wants to hear me out. Right. right. And just listen to me. Cause I like to talk about the car and I like to talk with the crew chief about the changes. I'm easy, it's easy to change my mind if I'm saying, hey, I, I need a right rear spring change. I'm well aware that I shouldn't be crew chief in the car. <laughs> but I just like to, I like to be able to talk freely, and then a crew chief hear me and talk, you know, and, and talk back. And so when I think about the different crew chiefs that I've had over the course of my career, The best ones for me are the ones that listen to me, but then are direct right back at me and say, no, this is what I want, right? And so it will be a transition. You know, We're talking about Kevin. How is he going to work with Jimmy, right? But Jimmy is going to learn a little bit about himself, of what he liked out of Chad. And and then he's going to learn pretty quickly in the beginning of the season what he likes out of Kevin and what he needs out of Kevin. I try to
2: come up with a way to explain how important those two people were, Jimmy and Chad. But think about this. I think Hendrick Motorsports is a stronger organization with them separated because they now affect two teams, if you can believe that.
3: Right. Well, so, so we talked about, um, so my, my point exactly of, especially in the early years, Chad's directness and the way his personality works, how fruitful it was with Jimmy, his yeah. ability to, to direct Jimmy and tell him what to do, what he wanted him to do. Think about that effect on William Byron, right? right? This young driver who's kind of got this you know quiet personality. He's, he's easygoing, and he's going to have someone like Chad literally telling him exactly what he wants him to do, that's going to be very good for for William's career. The next couple of years are going to be hard for William to learn that. Those are the hardest crew chiefs to work with, but sometimes they're the best ones. And, and that's going to be very productive for William's career. And, and, and this is your point that we, we talked about before. That might actually set William up for more success when he oh, gets yeah. to work with Kevin Mendering someday. So yeah. it, it, is a, it, it is
1: potentially a concoction that could elevate the whole organization. Absolutely. And you brought up a very good point about Jimmy wanting to learn about himself in 2019. When I sat down with Jimmy and Chad last week, I asked him what he was looking forward to about next year. And here's what he had to say.
4: 2019 for me I, I think's a real year could be a real year of growth for me um, Chad Chad is a, a strong leader and has led this 48 team and has uh, really had the reins of it and I've just kind of fallen in line behind it and I, this is an opportunity for me to take a much more active role in in the team um, you know and so that that brings brings a lot of excitement that comes with that
1: So Jimmy saying he wants to be a bigger leader on the team, Landon, in 2019 versus what he's really been for the last 17 years, kind of just driving for Chad's team.
3: Right. I, I guess I I hear that, and I, I just I want to know what he means. Like, does that mean you're moving back from Aspen? Like, uh, like, is that are 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 you coming to the shop three days a week? Like, what does that actually mean? Because first of all, I I will. I mean, that's that's harsh on Jimmy for me to say. But I, I always thought Jimmy was a pretty good leader. I think that especially. Balancing the type of leadership that Chad had, I thought Jimmy was very personable with his crew. You know, he, he's he's a um, he's got a great personality with his guys. So I've always thought he was a leader. So I don't know what he means by taking a more active role in the team. And well, is that even necessary? Like, it, it, well, what, that's where I'm for at. For a crew chief, what is the difference? What is the leadership difference between your responsibilities and mine as a driver? Right.
2: So not Jimmy Johnson is definitely not going to ask, call, and ask for my opinion. Um, but my unsolicited opinion would be. Uh, I would suggest against it and think it's unnecessary. And my simple fact point is for the amount of success he's had in the Cup Series, for the amount of the years that has, he has put in the tireless grind of being competitive over 36 weeks, I think this is his chance to let Kevin run the race team and be a tool that Kevin can use when it's needed. Um, while I, I, I love Jimmy, he's a great friend, and I think he can be a great leader— if I'm Kevin, I don't want him wasting any effort other than preparing and showing up and ready to drive because I think Jimmy Johnson can still drive, but it's very clear to me that drivers don't continue to get better until they retire. It's a curve, and I think Jimmy Johnson is winless this year because the equipment's not where it should be, but you think if he drove this equipment, honestly, 10 years ago, if Jimmy Johnson was this equipment, has he won a race this year? Well, he's been in equipment similar to this over the course and of his career at Hendrick. So yeah, I really think that Jimmy Johnson... Needs to just be whatever driver Kevin Mendering needs him to be. Um, But look, this is something they'll figure out over the winter. And guess what? There's a guy over there. His name's on all their shirts. He owns the whole place. (laughs) He's pretty good at organizing (laughs) this stuff, too. So I think uh, everybody's talking in the media, but he'll be involved in some meetings.
1: Over-under on Jimmy Johnson wins next year? Uh, Can I set it at the line at like one and a half? (laughs) Sure, you can if you're the odds maker. I will always take
3: Jimmy's over on one and a half. And I know that he's winless this year. Uh, with only a handful of races uh, to go, and I would have lost that bet this year. But it, you give me Jimmy at one and a half, I'll always take the over. So the
2: bigger question is who wins more races, Chase Eller or Jimmy Johnson? I st- I would take
3: Chase over one and a half, too. I think Chase could see two or three yeah, But words. that didn't answer my question. How about heads up? <laughs> heads up? Next year? Ah, man, it, well... I, mean, I don't is is the know. More this is tough. This I is ask tough. The there you go. We yeah. <laughs> to talk about that. In the I, break it's if a you tie. Want. They're both all having right. two wins next all year.
1: We right. were talking about all the combinations in the garage area. Mike Wheeler and Denny Hamlin have been a combination since 2016, but the relationship goes back even further than that. When Wheeler was the engineer on the 11 team, and then he took over as crew chief in 2016. Hamlin and Wheeler have five wins together as a driver crew chief combination and could be getting closer to another victory despite being eliminated from the playoffs. The 11 team has posted top five finishes at Dover and Talladega and Hamlin has won at all five tracks left on the schedule. I always felt like this was a very good part of the schedule for Denny Hamlin. Coming up, Joey Logano has established himself as one of NASCAR's best on the track. But up next, we'll tell you why he's one of the best off the track as well. That's straight ahead on NASCAR America. Joy Joey Logano may be racing for a championship, but one of his other main goals is a far more important one, helping the lives of others, especially children. That's the focus of his work with the Joey Logano Foundation.
6: Several NASCAR drivers and many team members did something very special yesterday when they rallied around the family of five-year-old NASCAR fan, Jake Leatherman, who passed away last week after a courageous battle with leukemia.
7: It all started from a little kid named Jake Leatherman. We went to his funeral uh, along with a lot of other team members, and none of us have ever met him while he was still with us. And I left there sad, but really mad that we missed an opportunity. And that's why we started the JL Kids Group, is to find kids that have a life-threatening illness that are huge race fans and make them part of the team. To see, you know, their face light up and, and kind of take them away from the day-to-day struggles that a lot of these families deal with and just to see them smiling and happy and getting this once-in-a-lifetime experience, that's the coolest thing.
8: Our favorite NASCAR driver is Joey Logano. Jonah Williams, I'm from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm nine and a half years old, so you're keeping this one straight? All the time. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Do I like NASCAR? I'm a NASCAR fanatic.
7: Jonah is the coolest kid I've ever met he is wise beyond his years you can sit down and talk to him he's a he's a car guy so we have a great relationship we talk about a lot of cars which is a lot of fun
8: joey logano is my favorite because he helps a lot of people who are sick sometimes and he makes them
6: feel better the jl kids crew is just one facet of many when it comes to the joey logano foundation At its core, the goal of the foundation is to offer second chances to kids and young adults across the country, and to inspire
9: others to lead similarly generous lives. Joey just wants to make a difference. We talk about it all the time, but at the end of his life, he's going to have trophies, but that's not going to keep him warm. You know, what's going to keep him warm is changing someone's life. It's a passion,
6: and it's personal, and he wants it to be here for a very, very long time. And to know that he wants the foundation to be part of his legacy, I think, tells you how passionate he is about it.
7: Obviously, NASCAR is an amazing platform. For me to have that, I'm gonna do nothing with it, is a huge waste. Joey
0: Logano wins Talladega! Yes,
7: we wanna win races, but there's such a bigger picture at the end of the day than just winning races.
6: The Joey Logano Foundation helps wherever it can through a variety of programs. Team Logano is the fan club that gives back by helping assemble over 600 comfort care backpacks each year. The foundation hosts Driving Hope Home, an annual fundraiser in Connecticut. During the 10-week stretch of the NASCAR playoffs, they donate grants and find time to give back to the local communities in each of the race markets through the foundation's Chasing Second Chances program. The list goes on and continues to grow each year.
9: We give our time. Yes, we help with our finances, but time, I mean, that's what people appreciate. Those are the relationships that you're building when you put that time in, you know, and that's how our lives have been changed and that's how their lives have been changed, is the time that we've put in. One of our favorites is the Homestead Shopping event where we give 100 families a Thanksgiving dinner and a tank
3: of gas, and Joey actually comes in and he visits everybody that's in line and then He goes in and shops with individual families. Last year was extremely touching because it was right after the storms. A lot of people in really bad situations.
9: That keeps us going. We say, we don't want to stop here. We want to keep going. This feeling is awesome. In the last five years, the Joey Logano
6: Foundation has invested over $2.7 million, but more importantly has affected the lives of over 200,000 children. Their impact becomes more significant each year and shows no signs of slowing down.
7: We want to keep growing it and keep affecting more and more lives and the main goal to me is to make sure it lives on past my racing career.
9: How's that? Awesome. <laughs> oh, I don't think she knows the impact because it's, it's so huge. Where Special thanks to Joey Logano for
8: putting all this together.
9: He says, it's no big deal. This is just what you're supposed to do. And the fact that he thinks of it that way, that you're just supposed to help people, and that he is living this life and it's given him such a big opportunity, that's awesome. He's just an awesome person. (laughs) That's why I married him.
1: Just an incredible story. Thank you, Carolyn Mano. Joey Logano is one of three finalists for the Comcast Community Champion of the Year Award, along with Ryan Newman and Sonoma Raceway's Steve Page. You can learn more about each of the finalists by visiting ComcastCommunityChampion.com. Well, last Sunday, Eric Almarola scored the biggest win of his career just 17 months after suffering a severe back injury. Up next, we'll hear from Amarola about how he nearly caught it a career after that wreck.
2: here at talladega super speedway for an exciting day of racing now these racers will be doing something extra special today they'll be racing on one wheel instead of four are these one wheels what they mean when they say the
1: big one in talladega one of my guys Oh, that's crazy. Those are our crew guys, by the way. Yeah. They ride around on those one-wheel things all the time. Very talented. Well, they keep one-wheel.
2: saying, "Hey, you can. Your turn." I'm like, mm, <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 You're not brave enough My to do that. that no. Big
1: bearded fellow. Yes, that's Kevin, one of our main guys. <laughs> great yeah. guys. So you can check that out on NBCSports.com. It's a cool little thing. So, hey, Sunday at Talladega, that's where those guys were racing. Eric Almarola race two. He led one lap, Stevie, but the one that mattered the most. Pass at the end he gets the big win and it was just 17 months ago when Almirola faced a much different test and that allowed him to refocus on his career.
0: So they work on cutting roll cage bars and perhaps removing the roof.
4: I'm actually grateful now.
3: You know, doing it year in and year out really becomes mundane. And so to have something like breaking my back sideline me unexpectedly. You know, it it forced me to step away, but it also forced me to, you know, evaluate. Is this really what I want to do? Do I really love this? And if it's not, this is a perfect opportunity for me to step away from the sport.
1: It is amazing when you see that wreck, and I'd love to get inside the mind of a driver, Landon. How do you how you do something like that, take all that time to recover? Why even want to come back?
3: Uh, man, I, I've never been injured like that um, in a race car and, and been put out like that. So I, I can't tell you – I can't imagine what he had gone through, but I, I can imagine um, the struggles of maybe having long seasons and questioning um, you know, your career or whether to come back after uh, poor performance or something. I mean – you know, Eric at the time last year was running middle of the pack, and um, he'd been had made a good living for a number of years. And have that injury, I, I guess I could understand him questioning it, but. Looking into the future now, he made the right decision.
1: Steve, you lived this with Dale Earnhardt Jr.
2: Yeah, when he had to sit out in 2012, I was his crew chief. Um, I saw the determination he had to come back, and then him and I had a lot of conversations in his his most recent bout with concussions, and he was bound and determined to get back in a race car to basically just end his career the way he wanted to have. He wrote that book about it. It's wonderful. It came Mm -hmm. out a couple days ago. Um, I don't want to be in the mind of race car drivers. I've seen it too many times. I've seen the awful things that can happen on a racetrack, and yet the utmost professionals put fire suits and helmets on, put the window net up and go do their job and it's um, it is their job, but their job is unlike many others and and what they do is is amazing it's um, we take it all for granted right because it, uh, how many times we've we seen a wreck and I think we were all surprised to see Eric
1: have to get cut out you just you didn't expect it but it's a Real reminder of what these guys do every day. Tenacity, perseverance, these drivers just keep coming back even after things like that. Speaking of Dalen Hart Jr., it's been a big week for him. He was up in New York touting his new book. And when we come back on NASCAR America, he'll talk about the challenges of putting that story onto paper.
0: NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection, proven protection for 20,000 miles.
6: The defending Stanley Cup champions are arrested and ready for tonight's matchup against the New York Rangers. The Caps have been off since Saturday. Tonight, they're back at it. Wednesday Night Hockey and NHL Live sets the scene next.
1: Thank you, Catherine. Just a reminder of the book, Racing to the Finish. The new book from Dale Earnhardt Jr. is now available on this week's edition of the Dale Jr. Download. He was joined by co-author Ryan McGee to talk about the process of putting the book together. Here's a sneak peek.
8: Didn't know how trying and tough it was going to be to write the book and to talk about the book. I think even if the content was about uh, something totally unrelated to the, the, you know, the concussions and the difficulties of that, I think writing a book is not an easy thing to do. And I think no matter what we had to discuss, it would have wore us out mentally because you do so much rummaging through your file cabinet upstairs in your head, and I mean you got to go far mm-hmm. and deep. And and uh, and you got to be honest. You got to be open and transparent about what you know, mistakes you made. I was going to be telling people that all you know, I'd be been keeping this secret and not. I'd been open openly telling people what to do and not doing it myself. So here I was going to be admitting uh, to being a bit of a hypocrite, and you know, it was going. I was. It was just a really. really strange experience.
1: Don't forget to check out the latest edition of the Dale Jr. Download tomorrow at 530. Hey, we're celebrating 1,000 episodes of NASCAR America on Friday. We'll revisit some of the most unexpected moments like Brian Blaney jumping into a pool. You don't want to miss this. Trust me. I just want to give a shout out to NASCAR America and congratulate them on their 1,000th episode. Thank you for sending our sport around the world to millions of race fans.
3: A thousand episodes. Wow. Um, good luck for the next thousand episodes. How about that? Hopefully I can be on at least like 10 or 15 of these thousand episodes.
1: The as one? This is one. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, okay. There you are, you're in. Hey. No, Although, we're not to 1,000 yet. I wanted okay. to be on a, in the next 1,000. I, I hear what you're saying. All right, I'm excited for episode number 1,000. <laughs> Steve doesn't know what we're doing here. Uh, it's Friday, 6 p.m. Don't want to miss it live from the Kansas Speedway. We'll have Jimmy Johnson. We'll also have uh, Clint Boyer on the show. Now, normally, when we put these shows together, it's a well o machine, right, Steve? Oh, every time. But I'm sorry, Landon, when we involve the drivers, things tend to turn out much different. Take a look.
8: Hi, I'm Dylan Hart Jr. And this is NASCAR America from Daytona. Here's the Daytona 500 winning Race Car.
5: You want me to hop on this one to bark like a dog? Yeah, <laughs> 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 We're
1: messing around right here, here at NBC. And I just appreciate you guys having me on.
3: To take my coat off and uh,
7: enjoy a little warm sunshine. So, hey, we got bacon. Friends don't let friends have hair like that. What What is this? Hey, Kurt, what's up? Oh, hey, What's up? You are here. I am for reals. Harvick wrecked me at posted last year on a straightaway. Uh, yeah. Remember that? What are you looking at? Do you remember that?
3: First of all, he told me I was number one, and I appreciate him still <laughs> yeah. telling me yeah. that I'm still performing well. Oh, Look, you're screwed I'm now. I'm in trouble
1: now. I think I'm, I'm safer by myself. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> I used
6: to drink. be a barista. For the drivers meeting this also to do a bit of hair is and this... makeup.
7: Me and Chase are big escape room artists, okay, I guess. Didn't know this. In all honesty, because we're not very cool. If you come to the racetrack and you're not wearing a racing shirt, you're a closet Kyle Busch fan. I'm not Kyle Busch. It's OK. <laughs> <sighs>
8: Kyle
9: Busch tweeted you, and I was like, no way. That is pretty <laughs> sick right
2: there. She's had to be yeah. kneeling behind me with her pack. This steal is out of control. Tony Stewart and Eric Almarola were concerned about my level of hydration. Just
3: follow your heart.
1: I cannot wait until we get Clint Boyer on Friday. I maybe can top some of that stuff, Steve. I'm just thankful I was not really in the highlights. <laughs> that's yeah. a really good point. You didn't make the highlight reel, Steve. That that's my a, goal. That's a very good point. So Kansas, big weekend for everybody. You're on Pro Football Talk, by the way. This yeah, weekend. Friday Pro Football Talk. Excited to go to Kansas. That. We got. Cup racing,
2: NBC on Sunday, and then a little football Sunday night.
1: But we have episode number 1,000 of NASCAR America, so I have some cards. You ready for some trivia, boys? Sure, let's go. Okay, here's the first trivia question. All right, so we started the show back in 2014. Total number of cup race winners since then? Since 2014? Yes. 22. Different drivers, you mean? Different drivers, 22. Yes. I'm going with 25. Whoa, Landon Castle on the money! I oh, I didn't you see got it. Multiple right. choice. I got. Yeah. Oh, wow. oh, it was multiple. I should have I told smoking. you that. Yeah, Pay oh, okay, no, to host monitor, to you. So hey. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, host to you. you fail. <laughs> All right, driver with the most Cup wins is it Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, or Martin Truex Jr.? Kyle Busch. Kevin Harvick. Ah, you got it. Kyle Busch with twenty-two. Twenty-two. I knew twenty-two was in here somewhere. Twenty-two. Oh, we're on the clock. Twenty-five yeah. left. All right, drivers who earned their first Cup Series. Win six nine 12. Nine. Mm. I was gonna go with nine. Will you stop cheating, Steve. What? Good grief! I pay attention. Can I answer the next one? Total I'm number of wins on a last lap pass: 10, 17, or twenty-four. Seventeen. Twenty-four. It's been B on all. Seventeen. It's been B on all. They've <laughs> all been B. Is that your theory? Is that what <laughs> you went there? That's why I said it. All right. Hey, a thousand's 9, coming. Nine ninety-eight. Nine ninety-eight. That's, 8, right. 8 That's, books, right. That's, That's right. right, A couple more to one thousand. That's gonna do it for this edition of NASCAR America. We'll see you tomorrow.